All right, y'all. How is everybody this morning? Pretty good. We've got uh, a few people still standing because they know the drill. All right, Steve and Luann, nice work. If you're able to, would you join us? Stand up on your feet this morning. We are going to declare our faith together and then open the scriptures. These are the words of the ancient Nicene Creed, 1700 years old. Sets out before us the central characters of the biblical plot and the story that we are in fact in, whether we know it or not. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, that through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You can be seated. It is good to see your faces this morning. And it is my birthday tomorrow. I'm turning 40 years old tomorrow, right? This is the last message that I preach in my 30s, so don't mess it up, aren't? Talking about uh, work this morning. We're making our way through the book of Proverbs, addressing different pieces of discipleship. And this morning, I want to spend a few minutes just thinking about the meaning and the purpose of the work of our hands in terms of the plan of God. Now, when you talk about this subject with a lot of Christians, I think some folks would just kind of go, well, I'll tell you what the meaning of our work is. It's a result of the fall. Like having a job is like a terrible thing. It's very awful. And when the kingdom comes, we're going to stop working altogether. And um, I do sympathize uh, with that. Not about my job now. I love my job now. For the record, in case anybody's listening, I love my job. But I have had some jobs that have been, uh, you know, real, real doozies. I remember uh, between my junior year and my senior year of high school, uh, I had had, for the most part, in the summers between years of high school up to that point, I had just kind of done like odd jobs, like washing cars or mowing lawns or whatever. And it was nice, 15 or 20 hours a week, you know, and then I could just kind of, you know, do whatever I wanted to do with the rest of my time. But between my junior and my senior year of high school, uh, not wrongly, my dad insisted that I should have a 40-hour-a-week, like, real job, you know, just like get a sense of what it's like to be a working man in, a, in the working world, you know, or whatever. And so um, you can detect a small note of disdain. I think we still have some disagreement maybe around whether this was a good idea. But he wanted me to work 40 hours, and I think it was good for me. So he got me a job uh, in a factory. And the factory was with this company, uh, Figgy's Gifts. Now, Figgy's has since gone out of business. But uh, what Figgy's did is they put together these little gift packages that you would give somebody like at, around the holidays. So like it would be like a little canister of um, like cheese and sausage. This is how we show our love in Wisconsin, by the way, is that we give cheese and sausage to each other. Uh, but they didn't just do those things. They also did things like uh, little chocolates and cakes and stuff like that in these little cans and all of that. And so my dad got me a job at the factory where they put all this stuff together. And the job started very early in the morning at a town far, far away, like 20 minutes or so. And um, so that meant that I would have to get up very early in the morning. And I was uh, kind of dreading it a little bit. But I did have a game plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to get in there in the factory. I don't know exactly like what my job is going to be. But uh, I'm going to buy up the time. 
You know, I'm going to make it like rich, rich mental and spiritual space. And so I'm going to like go over all the scripture verses that I'm working on, you know, and maybe I'll just spend some time communing with the Lord and all of that. And the day will just zip on by. So I show up at this job in a little town, Nielsville, Wisconsin, and they put me, you know, in the, like the back, back, back room where they really start the assembly for all of this stuff. And it's like this very cold, refrigerated room with uh, no windows at all, a little like the gulag or something, I don't know. But uh, so they put me all the way back there. And I, so the job that I had that day was, you know how like if you get a thing of Russell Stover candies, it's got like the little plastic insert in it where you put all the little candies and they're all like specifically. Sh- okay, so those little plastic insert, inserts, those come in large boxes, thousands of them laid inside. And so somebody has to do this. Somebody has to open up the box and they have to pull out these large stacks and one after another, they have to pull them out. And they said, kid, that's what you're going to be doing today. And the clock starts now, 7.30 in the morning. And so I said, I got my game plan. I'm good. And so I'm tearing these things apart. And I'm rehearsing all the scripture verses that I know. And I'm communing with the Lord and singing worship songs in my heart, making music in my heart always to the Lord and all of that. And I really did sense, you know, you have those times sometimes in prayer, you know, where it's just like you go, you get into God's presence and you lose track of time and all of a sudden, like hours can pass, you know, with the Lord. And I really did think that I'd gotten to that spot in doing this thing, you know, and I thought, surely it's five o'clock now, right? And I looked up and it was 743, 13 minutes have passed. And I don't know any more Bible and I'm out of worship songs. And what in the world am I, go- how am I going to survive this summer? And I was sorely tempted to believe that work is a result of the fall. And maybe that job was. I don't know. Maybe that's why the business isn't there anymore. I can't say I'm not God. I don't judge these things. It's just worth thinking about. But it is, work is not a result of the fall. Work, I think, is knit into our created purpose. And it's important that we think biblically, theologically about our work, or else we'll miss the greater significance of it. The essayist Dorothy Sayers in the middle part of the 20th century, said this. I think she's right about this. She said that in nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments, and she's astonished to find that as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends. And that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion. But is it astonishing, she asks, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? Friends, we spend most of our lives in some form of productive work. It's important to think about what it means in the plan of God if we stand any chance of not only living humanly, but bearing witness to the world about the now and coming kingdom of God. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are before you, trusting you for wisdom, trusting you for wisdom and help and strength, understanding, insight and power to make sense of where we are in your plan and then how we live out your plan in the right way. So, We ask, living word, that you would take the words of wise old King Solomon here and the rest of the words of Scripture, that you would elevate them, that you would make them your living word to us in this moment, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing, what you're speaking, hearts to believe it, and then a strong will to carry it out to the very end. Do that, we pray. Fill us with your spirit in these moments. Speak to us, we're asking, and may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, I want to take the wisdom of Proverbs here with respect to our work and just summarize it in three categories and then try to drill home to you what I think the Lord is speaking to us here. First point, just looking at the book of Proverbs, I want to say to you that God, when we think theologically about work, God is the first and the best worker. Sometimes when we think of God, we think of a deity just kind of sitting in a heavenly barca lounger in outer space or something while we're all just kind of busy doing our thing. But that is not the way that the Bible thinks about what God is up to. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 
chapter 8, the scripture says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Now, this is wisdom speaking. And so with the eyes of faith, we know that wisdom really is a foreshadowing of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. So I want you to hear it with those ears. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. And when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. And when there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he what? Set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then one of the older translations says, then I was a craftsman at his side. Think about that. In Proverbs, God and his wisdom are positioned as workers in the world. Wisdom is the craftsman at the side of God. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in man. Kind. This, by the way, is what we confess in the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But sometimes when we try to grapple with the notion of God being the creator, what we think is that uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so we think about creation as this single moment in time and then everything kind of just is being teased out by the laws of physics right up into the present time. That's not really the way that the Bible thinks about what it means for God to be the creator. In the Bible, in the biblical imagination, God's being the creator isn't just limited to that moment in time when everything started, but God's being the creator uh, is present in, or it understands it as in all of the things that happen as history Unfold. So the psalmist puts it like this. Look at this. Psalm 104, verse 14. The scripture says that he, say real loud, he makes grass grow for the cattle. Not he made grass grow for the cattle, but what? He makes now what God is doing. All the green grass that we see around us now, the scripture believes that the hand of God is at work in that now. That it's God who is saying, let there be grass, right? And the grass is leaping up out of the ground. He brings forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts and oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. All of the things that enrich us as human beings, that keep our world spinning, God, by his work now, is doing that. God is the first and the best worker. And Jesus reflects this same perspective in John chapter 5 and verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is, what's the word there? Always at his work. And what? I too am working. Think about Proverbs chapter 8. God the creator with wisdom at his side. Here we have Jesus showing us that story in history, in a human life, that there is the Father's work taking place all around at all times. And Jesus says that what he does is he enters into that work. He matches the Father's work. And you better believe that Jesus has long training and experience in this. Remember, he's the carpenter's son. Jesus grew up watching Joseph do everything that he was doing. And Joseph then, or Jesus then, was a craftsman at Joseph's side, right? And when he left Joseph's house, he knew what to do. He knew how to enter into and carry forth the work of his father. In fact, when Jesus is coming to his climactic moment on the cross, he positions that moment on the cross as a completion of the very work that God gave him. Look at this, John 17 and verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth. How? By finishing the work that you gave me to do. So the work of our hands is not outside of the plan of God. The work of our hands is located directly inside the plan of God. And in fact, the name of God is glorified as we enter into and complete the work. Everybody say work. The work that God gives us to do. So God is the first and the best worker, which leads directly into the second point, which is that human beings created in God's image and likeness are made likewise to be 
workers. Genesis 1 and verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them both and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Human beings created in God's image and likeness. When God wants the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves along the ground ruled over, who does he send to do that? Us. (laughs) The way that God extends his work in the world is how? Through us, through human beings. We are how the reign of God goes forward. Think about Genesis 2 and verse 15. After God finishes Creating the heavens and the earth creates this place for human beings to live, the Garden of Eden. The scripture says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to care for it. Those two Hebrew words there are fascinating words, just by the way. They're the Hebrew words abad and shamar, abad and shamar, work it and take care of it. And they happen to be the same words that are used later in the Old Testament to talk about what the priests and the Levites in the temple did. Isn't that interesting? That what the priests and the Levites in the temple did is they protected that space of holiness and they also served in it in such a way that the glory of God could be made manifest. Mankind is positioned in Genesis as priests of creation. That what we do is we take care of the space in life that God has given us We protect it from malign influences, and then we draw out its latent potential. And when we do that, we're creating a space on planet Earth where God can live and move and have his being. God is the first and best worker, and he appoints us, likewise, to be his workers. It's part of how he reveals himself in the world. It's written into our DNA. It's what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of God. And the truth is that Most of creation reflects this in some way, shape, or form. Think about Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. The writer of Proverbs is making a comparison between human beings and the created order that carries out God's work. And he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. And yet what? It stores up its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at the harvest. Think about that. That the ant does not need to be told to be about its work. But the ant, when the ant is anting, what does it do? It does all the things that are proper for ants to do. It works. It gathers up its provisions and its storehouses and it's just busy. And it doesn't, nobody needs to crack the whip over the ant. And there's no time card. There's no punch clock. There's nothing like that. When the ant is anting, it does certain things. So in the same way, when human beings are human being we do things in the same way that God, when God is Godding, does things that are productive and make the world go round. So our work is not just a piece of our lives. It's not a drudgery that we have to get over to get on to something else. But our work is what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of God. And when we tap into that and give expression to that, we're actually giving expression to something that's very deep in who we are. Pope John Paul II puts it like this. He says that when a man works, he not only alters things in society, but listen to this. He develops himself as well. He learns much. He cultivates his resources. He goes outside of himself and beyond himself, rightly understood This kind of growth is of greater value than any external riches which can be garnered. Think about the jobs that you have had over the years. Think about the opportunities that have been placed in front of you. Think about the situations you've been put in that have challenged you. You are who you are largely because of those things. They've drawn things out of you that wouldn't have been drawn out otherwise. Think also, just to erase the line here between your occupation, what you do nine to five, and your vocation, who you are as a creature made in the image and likeness of God. Think about your hobbies and your talents. Think about those things that you do in your pastime that you just love doing. Your gardening or your woodworking or your painting or your writing or whatever it is. That when you engage with those things, don't you feel like you're alive? Like you're so fully yourself. And haven't they called out of you things that would have been dormant all of your life if those things hadn't been there? 
That's what work does. Work makes humans out of us. It creates a space where we rise up as creatures made in the image and the likeness of God. So human beings created in God's image are made likewise to be workers. And then the third point that I just want to put in front of you this morning is that diligent godly work tends to, everybody say tends to, remembering that Proverbs is not a book of promises, but it's a book more or less of predictions based on how life normally works. There are great exceptions to this, but in the main, diligent godly work tends to lead to prosperity, satisfaction, and joy. Proverbs 10 and verse 4, lazy hands make for what? Poverty. But Paul says something similar in the New Testament. He says that if a person doesn't work, what? They're not going to eat any either, right? You you get get busy and do, do something. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring about wealth. Proverbs 13, 4, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. What's a sluggard? They're just lazing around all day long with these cravings. Oh, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have this. I wish I had a better life. Are you willing to do anything to achieve it? Get to work, man. The sluggard's appetite is never filled, but people that work hard, the desires of the diligent, what does Proverbs say? They're fully satisfied. Think about those times in your life when you've just gotten after it and you've worked hard and you get done with work and you just feel good, right? You earned an honest wage and you enjoyed working with your coworkers and you felt good about what you did. That's what Proverbs is saying. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 18, this is what I've observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, it's a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Brothers and sisters, this is part of our inheritance as the redeems. That God would so content us in our lives that we'd rise up in the morning, we would do good work, earn a decent wage, be able to bless people with it, feel good about what we did, and go to sleep knowing that we lived the human vocation. And when we live in that space, The writer of Ecclesiastes, who happens to be the same author of the Proverbs, King Solomon, thinks that life is going the way that God intends. Work is not something outside of the plan and purpose of God for us, but it's written deep into the fabric of the cosmos, deep into our DNA. It's part of who we're called to be. And when we work well, you can put this slide up on the screen, we fulfill our created purpose bringing joy to our hearts and good to others and glory unto God. But that does raise a question, doesn't it? What does it mean to work well? What does it mean to work well? And the world does have ideas about this, about what it means to work well. For the most part, I think in the world, the way that we think about working well is that, first of all, step one is that we find a job that perfectly matches who we are. It's perfectly suited to our usness. And every day of our life, we'll be able to give expression to our true self, the true me, and all of that. And that's the first criteria for working well in the world. And the second criteria is that we make money hand over fist, lots and lots of money. We're making it rain all day long in our job. And so that's the second criteria. And the third criteria is that we become famous and we're recognized for what we do. And that, I think, is surely a fallen approach to our work that is bound to create much misery in the world, but that is one way of thinking about it. I do sometimes in the church think that we don't really think about our work much better than that. You know, we tell people that they ought to go out there and give it and, you know, really get after it and give expression to their true selves. And, or maybe another way of thinking about work in the church is that it is kind of a necessary evil, but you should do it and work hard at it, you know, glorify God in your work. But mostly the reason that and the purpose for Your work is so that you can make money to give to the church because that's where it's really at, keeping this whole thing going here. And while you're at it, at your job, just please don't mess up the name of Jesus. You know, like work honestly and all of that and carry some tracks in your back pocket. You don't know what tracks are. That was a different day, wasn't it? 
so that you can share the gospel with your coworkers and all that, and that's what your work is really for. And I think that that's still missing it. I think that our work is deeper. The meaning of our work is deeper than that. I think that God would have us hold our work in a way that's sacramental, in a way that blesses the world and feeds the world and builds up the world, in a way that helps us enter into it in such a way that our identity is sons and daughters of the living God. Do you remember how Paul says that the creation is groaning with eager expectation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed? I think that God would have us step into our work in such a way that as our sonship and our daughtership is revealed, that he's also revealed through the work itself, building up human lives, blessing the world. One of the best examples, I think, of Christian work that maybe I've ever seen was at a hotel in Albert Lee, Minnesota years ago. Mandy and I and the kids were on our way back to Wisconsin for the holidays and we stopped at a country inn and suites, one of our favorite little hotels along the way, for whatever reason. I know it's kind of a weird art thing, but that's where we stay. I think it's the waffles. I think that's the thing, the waffles that you pour and the kids, and it's fun and very distracting and nice. But we like country inn and suites, so we stopped at this one in Albert Lee, Minnesota. And when we got into the room, uh, there was this little placard that was sitting on the side table. And I'd never seen this at any other country inn and suites, but it really caught my attention. And I've got a picture of it right here, but I want to read it to you as well, because I remember reading this and thinking to myself, I don't know if the people who own this, this hotel are Christians. And certainly the idea of a Christian hotel is a completely meaningless concept. However, this sentiment grows up out of the soil of a Christian soul. Listen to what it says. Greetings, traveler. Because this hotel is a human institution to serve people and not solely a money-making organization, we hope that God will grant you peace and rest while under our roof. May this room and hotel be your second home. May those you love be near you in thoughts and even though we may not get to know you, we hope that you will be as comfortable and happy as if you were in your own home. May the business that brought you our way prosper. May every call you make and every message you receive add to your joy. When you leave, may your journey be safe. We are all travelers. From birth to death, we travel between the eternities. And so may these days be pleasant for you, profitable for society, helpful for those you meet, and bring joy to those who know and love you best. What if we all treated the work of our hands like that as ministry, right? When we think about this space and we gather on Sunday mornings, it's easy to think about it as ministry, of course. It's a place where we worship Jesus and gather around the word and we're ministering to the sick and the suffering and people are coming in with heavy hearts. And then where else do we do ministry? I don't know. Maybe we go on missions trips, once, but I don't think that that's right. I think that in the plan of God, all that we do is ministry. Every occupation that we hold, every avenue where we express our agency in some way, that in the plan of God, that is to be a place of ministry. And it begins by doing the work the right way. <laughs> that we do it as unto God. That we don't do the work in a shabby way and then paint Jesus over it and go, it's all good now. You know what I mean? You think about all those, and maybe you're, okay, I'm going to get in trouble here. But you think about all those plumbers, you know? They got the Jesus fish on the back of their truck, but the toilet is still leaking. When they're done at your, that's not Christian work. Don't do that in the name of Jesus. You just did that work in somebody else's name, okay? Jesus doesn't leave leaky toilets. That's a no. We start out by doing the work in the right way. Dorothy Sayers goes on to say, and I think this is important for us to get, because too many of us, what we're doing is we're whitewashing our work with the name of Jesus. And it's a blasphemy. <laughs> okay? We're called to enter into our work the right way. Listen to what Sayers says. 
She says that the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. But what the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. (laughs) Job one, if you're a carpenter, do the work the right way. Make a good table. She says, church by all means and decent forms of amusement, certainly. But what use is all of that if in the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry? No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. I'm going to need some amens in the house this morning. She preaching. No piety in the worker will compensate for work that is not true to itself. For any work that is untrue to its own technique is a living lie. And by the way, thou shalt not bear false witness is one of the big ten. <laughs> We're called to tell the truth, to bear the truth, to do things truthfully. And when we approach our work in a shoddy or haphazard or selfish or egotistical manner, it warps the work which distorts God's name and hurts human lives. Are you with me this morning, brothers and sisters? So I want to say to you with the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 and verse 17, that whatever you do, is anything excluded by the definition? That's a no. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, how are you going to do it? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I want to suggest to you that when we step into secular occupation in this way, in the name of Jesus, it arrests the results of the fall in our world. As bad work is a primary sign of the fall, so those who work in the name of Jesus are a sign of the now and coming redemption and restoration of all things. Brothers and sisters, we do not believe a gospel where God whisks the faithful out so that he can blow up the world. That's not the gospel. The gospel is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Come, thy be where? On earth as it is in heaven. And one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ And he shall reign. And I looked and I saw a new heavens and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. We are called to enter into our labors in such a way that it makes the kingdom of God manifest in space and time. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? Bad work is a primary result of the fall. Think about those folks in Florida that died because the building collapsed on them. That's not work done in the name of Jesus. Cutting corners and all of the little compromises of the work that had to happen to make that work possible. Friends, bad work is a primary sign of the distortion wrought by the fall. Think about what happens when sin creeps into our health care. People are given shabby diagnoses or surgeries they don't need, or prescriptions that don't work for them, or the inflation of prices in the healthcare industry. And I'm not trying to get involved in a political debate, but the Bible demanded that we speak about this, so we do. (laughs) When human beings can't get the care that they need for things that pertain to their lives, that's a bad thing. It's a primary sign of the fall. Think about what happens when the fall creeps into, for instance, Government, and I'm sure you can't think of any examples. <laughs> it warps, it perverts, it distorts human life, breaks the bonds between us, disintegrates community, erodes trust. Brothers and sisters, when we think about the mission of God, too often in the church we think about the mission of God as church work specifically, or going to some country halfway across the world to share the gospel and build schools. And all of that stuff is right and good. And I'm glad that I get to do what I get to do here. But the mission 
of God cannot be relegated to what happens on Sunday morning in the church or in some faraway country. If it is relegated to that, then that means that most of our lives have been consigned to destruction. Guys, God has called us into the secular vocation to bear witness to the now and coming kingdom of God. Every occupation represented in this room represents a beachhead for the kingdom of God. Have we eyes to see it? I remember talking to my dad years ago. My dad worked in a car dealership up in Wisconsin for many years. He was about 35 years into his career at this point, and he started out as a salesman, eventually became a sales manager, other areas of management, eventually became the general manager of the car dealership, and just did good work there for a long time. Employed a lot of people, served a lot of people in the community, helped steward that whole thing. The dealership grew and became prosperous, very beautiful thing. And my dad and I were on a run, I don't know, 10 or so years ago maybe, and um, we were reflecting on our work and the meaning of life, you know, and all of that. And I remember dad talking about his work and all that he'd experienced and all that he'd done. And I remember him saying to me on the, on the, on the run, he said, you know, it's been a great career, great job, and all of that. I was able to provide for the family and for you kids. He said, but sometimes I wonder if what I did in that job really made a difference for the kingdom. And I remember saying to him, thinking, you know, sometimes you just lose perspective on a thing when you're in the middle of the thing, you know, 35 years. And I remember saying to him, Dad, I think that you've forgotten the visceral terror that most people feel when they walk into a car dealership needing a car. <laughs> Very scary, right? You come in and your family has this need. You have some ideas about what you'd like. You have a certain amount of money that you can spend. And you've already fantasized about what that vehicle is going to be that you're going to get. And then you walk into the lot of the car dealership. And what are you thinking? You're not thinking, wow, what a great day we're going to have. These people are going to take care of my every need and just wash our feet. And that's not what you're thinking. You're walking out of that car dealership kind of like this, right? Or with a javelin in the hand, you know? You're like ready to do hand-to-hand combat with these people who you're afraid are going to take advantage of you. And I said to him, Dad, for 35 years you have made it so that nobody in this city walks into this car dealership and has to do that mistrust is a sign of the fall. It's a work of hell. And what you've done is you've created a culture that has deconstructed all of the reasons for that mistrust. What is the work of the kingdom if it's not that? Dad, think about how important it is that people have reliable transportation. You have made it so that when their vehicle breaks down and they bring it to you for help, they don't have to be afraid that you're going to take advantage of them and charge them for things that don't exist. And I know that this happens because my wife has gone to car dealerships needing an oil change and she walked out with a quote for $1,700 worth of repairs. And then I would walk into the same dealership needing the same oil change and they wouldn't do that to me and they did it to her because she was a woman. This happens. It's a primary sign of the fall. So when we work in the name of Jesus in a way that brings glory to God and good to others, it deconstructs all of the circumstances that allow the fall to be extended into the world. I said, Dad, think about the, all, the, all the good that you've done in this community, training up these salesmen and women and employing these service people and running a business in a way that people don't have to be afraid to come to work. It's a prosperous business where people have made a fair wage and a decent living. What is kingdom work if not that? So whether... You eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, guys. This is how the Lord is getting back his world. Jesus told this very interesting parable at one point in his ministry. And with this, we'll begin to make the turn into communion. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and she worked into 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all of the dough. Now just think about that for a second. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and she put it into a large amount of bread. Small thing. I don't know 
How much yeast do you need to be effective in 60 pounds? I don't know, but it can't be all that much. She took it and she kneaded it into the dough. She worked it into the dough. And all of the latent power of that yeast was released into the dough, such that the dough rose and became the kind of dough that can feed tons of people. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like that. I am saying to you that you are like that. We are the yeast that Jesus is working into all the dough. And as we work and as we labor, as the hand of the great bread maker himself is kneading us into the dough, what's happening is that the latent life of the kingdom that is in us is being released into those spaces in a way that counteracts all of the evil done by the fall. You ask, what is the meaning of my life, your life? It's that. It's that we'd be sown like yeast, kneaded like yeast into the dough of the world that would rise and become what God intends. And so can we stand this morning? And I want you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, dang, we went over time. Sorry about that. I want you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to think not just about your occupation, and they'll do think about that as well, but I want you to think about all that the Lord has entrusted to you. Your home, your money, your talents, your gifts, your passions, hobbies, all of that, all of the places where your energy touches the world. And I want you to hold that up before him. And so we say, Lord Jesus, this is all yours. And we remember in this moment that we are your body. <laughs> Jesus, you said that we didn't choose you, but you chose us. And you appointed us to go and bear fruits, fruit that the world could eat from and be blessed and strengthened. And so we hold before you all of these things that we do, all of the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the opportunities, the occupations that we have, the work of our hands. And we say, use it, bless, strengthen the world. And we also ask that you would correct us where our thinking, where our hearts are wrong about this. We pray that you would restore us to our true vocation, which is love for you and love for the world. So come, we pray. Come, we pray. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Work a steadfast spirit in us, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. We're going to sing this song of worship in response and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table. Jesus. 
you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the Lord our God would you do that right now give him thanks God thank you God, we are the we are the, the work you created us thank you for that Thank you for these elements that we hold in our hands. It is also your work of coming to redeem us, to pay this price. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he 
took bread and he broke it. Would you break this bread? He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember today, Jesus, the sacrifice that you made on the cross for our sins. Thank you for this. Would you receive the bread? And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the mystery of our faith together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. Would you receive the cup together? And now, God, we give you praise. Thank you. We let this, this meal nourish us and fill us so that we can worship you, glorify you. Would you respond with indoxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Would you take a breath and receive the Holy Spirit again? We are your body, filled with your spirit, sent to do the works of the Father. Thank you for reminding us of that this morning. Family, would you open your hands and receive this benediction as you go? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Remember, if you're new, stop at Connect Central. We'd love to meet you. And uh, New Life East, you are loved. We will see you next Sunday.